0: Thanks, Justin. Good morning, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all of our ladies. I also also know that we have single dads that have to be moms on their own. We celebrate you, grandmas, great grandmas, women here who do not have biological children of their own, but they have been mothers to nieces and nephews and neighbors and children and classes. I tell you, the, the, we ought to just have a, a, a ladies' day instead of just Mother's Day, but uh, we want to celebrate everyone and thank you for your incredible service. Um, you, are, you are such a blessing, more than we can say. Today we want to continue our thoughts along the line of rewards um, last week we talked about the Judgment Seat of Christ. And that's the, that's the general picture, that's the big picture when we discuss how we will be rewarded and a little bit about when and um, a little bit about what will be judged. We talked about the Judgment Seat of Christ. Remember it's only for Christians. And it was a place of review, our attitude, our authority, Uh, that we live by, our ability will be reviewed, we will be rewarded. We also said that it would be a place of encounter and surprises, that we when we get there would see clearly the goodness and severity of God as well as the justice of God. We'll be surprised perhaps at how God sees things and at what actually touches the heart of God. And uh, then we wrapped up just talking about the importance of that judgment. Now today I want to talk about in particular the five crowns that Christians can win by our service to the Lord. And the subtopic uh, is the idea of understanding the love language of God. Um, How many of you have read the book or you've been in a class, The Five Love Languages? Yeah, pretty good number. I think it's still required for our School of Leadership students, and it's a very highly recommended book. It's like most books, it's not perfect, but it does give us insights. Basically, what it says is that there are, just a very broad stroke of the brush, there are five ways that we receive and give love, Uh, and that's our love language. You can take tests and most of us have one or two dominant languages of love that uh, this is the way we express love and here's where it gets tricky it's the way we want love expressed to us i found out about two or three years into marriage that marriage is the only place where the golden rule doesn't work you know do unto others as you'd have them do unto you Nah. Well, of course it is true, but that's, that, that command from Jesus is about the big principles of being kind, being loving, being forgiving. But I found out that, that my wife was deformed. I found out that, that she, didn't, she didn't like all the things. I, what I would have just loved to have, have done to me, she didn't want done to her or given to me. She didn't want given to her. You know, I'm teasing when I say she was deformed. What I was needing to find out and didn't for years is this idea of a love language. I have a way of expressing love, but my wife has a way of receiving love. And my expression, though it might be appreciated, can be lost on her. And then feelings get hurt because she doesn't receive the gift the way I want her to receive it. And I want to tell you, we tell uh, kids and, well, and older folks that get married at our church all the time, the best thing you can do besides just serving the Lord by instead of just preferring one another, best thing you can do is learn some love languages, learn something about the love language, and you have to learn to be bilingual. Now, with that being said, it's not that God... Uh, is so frail that he can't be communicated with except in his love language. But I think there is a, a, a principle that we can draw from the love languages. And it is this, when we talk about pleasing the Lord and receiving a reward from the Lord, I know this is a little radical. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say this. But we might just need to spend a little bit of time learning God's love language. We might ought to spend a little bit of time learning what's really important to him and how to really please him. Now, there are some broad topics that are so easy to to find. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. Um, And and that's not a guy desperate on a Saturday night date saying, oh, if you love me, you would do what I want you to do. No, it's nothing cheap like that. God is saying the best way you can show your love for me is to obey what I tell you. Love is not just something you feel, love is something you do. That's one dynamic of God's love language. Now, today we want to talk about at least five things that we are aware of that touches his heart when we look at these five crowns. I want you to understand these five crowns are not automatic. There's not a one of them that is automatic. I used to think they were automatic. I used to believe that when we got to the Lord we would just get these rewards because we were Christians. But I've come to believe, and, I, and I'm, I, really, I really believe this strongly, these are options that are placed before us. These are things we can do. And we know that these things are important to the heart of the Lord because He chooses to reward them. Are you with me? Now that doesn't mean it's the only thing he will reward. It doesn't mean it's the only thing that touches the heart of God. I, I think we have just a, a small crack in the door that we can look and see into this dynamic of reward. Um, Paul would write to the Corinthians about the eternities and about reward and about the Christian life in general. And this is what he would say, I has not seen... Ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those of us who love Him. Now He did He did make a concession. He says, "But some of it is revealed by His Spirit, some is revealed by His Word." But the nature of reward in the kingdom of God is so exponentially greater, and so uh, in essence different than what we might think that he said it's not something that would naturally come to us. So, I think when we talk about the idea of reward we have to start doing some shifting in our thinking. Paul would write to the Corinthians, and we read this last week, if any man's work which he has built upon remains he will receive a reward. And we, we want to talk about um, Ephesians 6 for just a moment work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather for people remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do whether we are slaves or free that passage along with a handful of others that we don't have time to look at today tell us that we need to live our lives with our focus on the Lord because reward is coming in a way that might surprise us things that we get angry and don't want to put up with might be the basis for the strongest reward in our life. But we wouldn't be aware of it if we weren't in tune with Him. I read a news article this past week from a, a major newspaper and it said that mothers, talking about leading up to Mother's Day, mothers grow weary of being placed on the pedestal. And many mothers would like to do away with Mother's Day. I read that and I thought, uh, somebody was high when they wrote this, <laughs> or somebody was drunk. Uh, you know, th- we, ha- have we really come to a place in society where it is so costly to be told thank you that we'd rather not be told thank you? I want to tell you, that's the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of, uh, of a system that doesn't understand biblical precepts, I want you to know that honor is not a tip of the hat. Honor and reward in the biblical sense is not something that the really good Christians say, oh no, it was nothing. In fact, I think one of the things that will happen when we get to heaven is we are going to learn to keep our mouth shut at the time of reward. You, you say, oh, I'm going to get there and he's going to give me a reward. And I'm going to say, no, Jesus, no, I don't want it. You keep the reward. It was a pleasure to serve you. Guys, you're going to see what's behind reward. And you're going to see that reward is not something that's taken lightly. And, and I want to tell you, I, I'm going to go ahead and drop a bomb on you. One of the least Christian things we can do is not know how to handle reward not know how to give thanks, not know how to make apologies, not know how to receive gifts and give gifts because we've lessened the action, we've lessened the person, we've lessened the gift. We we have lost the sense. Mothers wanting to do away with Mother's Day, my goodness, we've lost the sense of what needs to be reward. And then we sometimes devastate people when we don't receive the, re- the reward or the thanks. Now, uh, Thanks, now, I, I know we can take this the other way. I, I know we can go to the other extreme. Uh, there, there are There are two extremes in this idea of reward. One extreme says I expect to be remembered for everything. I expect to be thanked for everything. I expect every little thing that I notice be done with i went to a men's event years ago decades ago i was a young pastor and uh in well it was it was uh promise keepers and they were honoring pastors and in one of the services they asked for the pastors if you're a pastor of a church to come forward and the men gave a standing ovation as every pastor went forward. Uh, Applause were being given. It it was not a thing that blew your head up with pride. It was very humbling. It was a very sobering thing. Some had been in ministry a long time. Some like me had had been in ministry maybe 20 years just kind of middle road. Others were just getting started. Uh, But everybody was called forward and I tell you what I saw surface in that evening conference more than any other attitude um, on the part of the pastors, at least that was expressed. Um, to those of us who were younger, those who older said something like this, well, thank God you didn't have to wait like me, wait 40 years for somebody to say thank you. And then they just went on and on and on. And I'm not talking about one or two, I'm talking about... People that I knew from years past that was the sentiment of so many of them and I thought probably that's the reason nobody's ever said thank you I don't know but I knew there was something instinctively painful about when thanks are given even if they're late it's not enough I looked at some of the younger ministers around me. A couple of them I had just hired, they were brand new in ministry. And I knew they did not have any idea of, of, the, of the gift that was being given to them. Somebody in ministry three months had no idea of what was being expressed to them. And it, I, guys, I know I'm not just telling stories. Uh, what I'm trying to tell you is we've got to, before we can understand what it's like to live for a reward we've got to understand what's behind reward now it's okay to work through life and to just be overwhelmed and not know how to respond guys I want to tell you and i'm not I'm not looking for something I'm just telling you on our 20th anniversary the way you guys honored us and 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 cheered us and blessed us I, I, I was I was overwhelmed and it was so appreciated by me and my family and we talked about it afterwards. It was such a precious gift. We realized we didn't yet know how to handle it. It was, it was so moving. We, we had trouble looking <coughs> people in the eyes, not because we were ashamed, not because we were uncomfortable, but we understood the nature of what was being expressed. And we didn't know if we had the maturity to hold on to it. God, do not be surprised to hear this. God is going to teach us how to, with humility, receive a reward. It's dress rehearsal for that day. And God is in the business of teaching us to be truly grateful and how to honor people. We're in an age of rage, there's not much honor. I read another survey. You say, Pastor, you need to quit reading these secular surveys. I know. Of people that were 60 or 65, I forget which it was, years of age and older, this was, of all their concerns, of all their complaints, this was number one. It was 20-something points higher than anything else. When you reach our age, nobody thinks you have anything to offer or any thought worth hearing. Now... I don't get any amens, that's that's a good sign, it's a good sign. But whether it's real or not we were created, Christians were created to live in a culture of honor and Christians that were part of that survey as well said you reach a point in this culture we're in, the age of rage, you reach a point where nobody thinks you have anything to bring to the table. The Bible says that gray hair is a sign of honor, not muscles. The Bible says gray hair is a sign of wisdom, not necessarily a college degree. And in the culture of Israel, boy, you're getting tense with this, so I can tell I need to go on. But but in in the culture of Israel, when an elderly person enters the room, now, first of all, I know it's dangerous. I know it's dangerous. To, to call so you know it 's like going into a restaurant and asking a lady, When are you due you don 't do that that 's just not wise you just don 't do that um, uh, it, 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 the, 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 the culture is afraid to call someone in fact, um, I read a survey um, this was this was back about oh this was back probably thirty years ago about in England, they had a beauty pageant, now times have changed, we, we, we celebrate uh, uh, older beauty now better than we did then, but there was a beauty pageant for women that were over 40, you had to be 40 or over, and uh, the, prizes were, oh, the, the prizes were magnificent, the fur coats and money and dinners out, and, I mean it was an amazing thing. Do you know that after advertising for over three months they did not have anyone sign up for the pageant except for two and they dropped out when they found out they were the only two. And they came to the conclusion no one entering a beauty pageant wanted to admit they were 40 or older. We've got to adjust this thing of honor. Now how do we do that? Well we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I want you to see basically three things with me. Um, number one, I want us to see that reward is actually a sacred idea. It's, it's not vain. <coughs> it's not selfish. It doesn't have to feed into the flesh. It can, but it's actually a sacred idea. Um, the second thing is I want you to understand uh, about honor that the idea of pursuing honor is a sacred thing as well. I used to say I'm serving the Lord just because I love the Lord. I don't want any kind of reward. Can I tell you that my 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 attitude has changed? Not not because I want stuff, but because I begin to understand why the Lord offers a reward and I dare not minimize what the Lord gives as motivation. And thirdly, I want us to talk about five things that we know are the Lord's love language it's possible for every one of us to receive any of these rewards now one of them has to do with the call of god upon your life but at least four of the five any one of us are allowed to pursue but there is no guarantee that any of the five will be given to us unless we pursue them father long introduction but please bless help us to understand And help us to change our attitude toward reward. Help us to know what matters to you should matter to us. Um, Help us not to get trapped in false humility, which can actually become um, kind of a passivity. So help us to pursue these gifts in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, let me say one more time. The idea of reward and honor is a is a delicate dance. Now I, it's hard for me to illustrate it with dance because I was taught if you do that you go to hell when I was growing up. But it's it's a delicate dance where one partner may lead, but the other one must respond. One movement leads to another movement, and that movement leads to another movement, and that this this uh, 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 movement leads to a different stance and posture. It, it's a dance that. Has to, it, it, it's not stagnant. You don't just stand there and hold each other. You're moving. You're flowing. And it's important that you understand the steps of the one leading and the steps of the one following. Now, <coughs> what that means basically is we have to honor the person. That's what reward is, the recipient. And the recipient has to honor the gift. Putting it on human terms knowing your wife's love language. Uh, husbands, we need to know what our wife is after. What, what is she after? I have a friend that, uh, just one of the greatest men I've, I've ever met, he's just a wonderful guy, he's a sports fan. Um, for his wife's anniversary, he got her a ticket to an NFL game. Um, his wife, on one hand, did not know anything about football, but he loved it, so he said, We're going to go for the most romantic evening. We're talking hot dogs, and they're not AGs, so he said, And beer. We'll get hot dogs and beer. We've got great seats, and we'll celebrate our love. It, it, she, and she went, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> See, he, he was trying to honor her. He was trying to honor her, but he didn't know her love language, and what he thought was honoring her was, something she wasn't even interested in. At the same time, she needed to learn to honor the gift. She needed to understand this was something important to him. She said, I don't wanna go. She said, she she came to me and I just don't wanna go. What do I do? And I said, well, I said, I would honor him for the gift. I would thank him for the gift. Try this, try this. Just say, honey, I'm so thankful that we're going to this football game It's wonderful. Maybe we could go a couple of days early and stay at this resort hotel and we could just have a couple of days just to ourselves and uh... he so help me so help me this was his response well i thought about that but i figure you'd want to save your energy for the game it's going to be a long day <laughs> And uh, i knew it didn't go well when with puffy eyes she came to me and said can you talk to him and we out of it. We got this beautiful weekend where both understood each other and both received the gifts. And and uh, and then I also I said, and I've got a gift for you. It was called the five love languages. But uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's go on now to the idea, the sacred idea of reward. Reward, as you see in your outline, number one is based on love. Uh, I, I'm amazed that when Peter's failure, so pronounced. Denying the Lord at the moment when the Lord, at least from the human perspective, needed Simon Peter more than any other time. He denied the Lord. And Jesus would confront Peter not with a you denied me, but he knew that Peter needed restoration. It wasn't Jesus trying to get even with Peter. He said, Peter, you need to be restored. You you fit. And if you don't deal with this, this failure is going to haunt you the rest of your life. So, so what, did, what did Jesus say? He said it three times uh, by the seashore. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked Peter this three times. And it was not till after the third time that Peter began to understand what Jesus was after. And then Jesus said this, if you love me, feed my lambs. The, the Greek is tend my sheep. Take care of my little ones. He was helping P- Peter understand that reward is going to be based on love. Love is going to be based on obedience. And love is something that puts reward in perspective. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. Why? Because of his love for her. Love is the foundational dynamic of any reward. Love is what makes a reward appropriate and necessary. Reward is based not only on love, but it's also based on justice. When, When the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that was, but when the writer of Hebrews was telling people to hang in there, that's what Hebrews was about. It was written to the Jewish Christians who were in danger of, where it looked like what they could see with their eyes was the reality and not what they saw in their spirit. And he says, whenever you feel yourself being persecuted, whenever you feel yourself being maligned, whenever you feel yourself being misunderstood, or you're not receiving the reward you ought to receive, he says, God is just. He says, he states it in the negative. He says, God is not unjust. God is not unjust. We're big about justice in uh, society today. God is not unjust. And then he explains what unjustness would be. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. (coughs) You know, what this passage says is this. If God did not reward you for your service... To the, to the fellow Christians with whom you're on this journey, that would be unjust. The writer of Hebrews makes this statement basically, we ought to expect to be rewarded. And if we were not rewarded, God would be in ju- unjust. Now, the kingdom of God offers a common access. The cross provides grace and mercy. Every one of us, Come to Jesus the same way. Every one of us come to Jesus the same way. There was a cross, uh, a a statue of Jesus on the cross. Is this me knocking around here? Is that any better? Okay. There was a a statue of Jesus on the cross that had been built uh, in the Art Deco area, and it didn't, it, it looked just twisted. It looked like some kind of modern art that nobody seemed to like until uh, somebody made a comment, a tourist made a comment about it to a tour director there. And he said, everybody I've talked to says, this is, this is all distorted. Jesus' head is too big. His arms are too long. He's in this grotesque position. I hate this statue. I read in the book that this is the most moving statue of Christ on the cross in all of Europe. I think it's hideous. And the tour guide took him to the foot of the cross and said kneel, kneel at the foot of the cross and then look up. And it was designed so that when you knelt at the foot of the cross and looked up, everything became symmetrical. Everything became right. Everything took on the right proportion. And it was designed that way to tell people the only way to see the beauty of Jesus on the cross is to come to him on your knees. Now, all of us get to heaven by coming to the cross on our knees. None of us get there because of our works or anything that we have done. But we do need to understand this. Grace and mercy get us into the kingdom. But our reward in the kingdom is based on how we live. there's There's no reparation shared among the saints. There's no redistribution of wealth. Shared in the kingdom. Those may be popular economic ideas. But the the kingdom of God is a very simple thing. All of us come the same way. Through grace and mercy. All of us have equal access. Whosoever will may come. But after that our reward is not based on whosoever will may come. Our reward is based on what have we done with Christ. What have we done to serve him, to love him. So, justice is, 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 is something that ought to be rewarded. It's also based on honor. God says every one of us ought to strive for the day when we stand before him and we hear him say, Well done, well done. Now, I want to say it one more time. Learn that reward should be accepted with honor. And graciousness. If not, we may actually lessen the value of the work being rewarded and dishonor the one offering the reward. I believe that we will not be allowed to cheapen the Lord's reward with false humility on that day. We must learn that reward is not a matter of us craving the praise of man. It is a matter of understanding the true cost of reward. This is why Jesus allowed extravagant expression by Mary of Bethany and rejected the conventional wisdom of Judas. Judas saw this expense. Uh, expensive gift being poured out on the feet of Jesus. And he said, why this waste? We could have done this and this and this with this. But Jesus understood the nature of this gift. Jesus understood the nature of this reward. And guys I want to tell you don't be penny wise and pound foolish when it comes to the things of God. Don't be locked into a carnal mindset where we think that everything we do and everything we give and everything we receive and everything we appreciate must conform to some secular standard of wisdom. There's something in the kingdom. And whenever we tap into that idea of honor and reward, of generosity and depth of giving, the whole way we look at things begins to change. I'm going to preach to us old guys, anybody that... Is either old or feels old. In a couple of Sundays, I'm going to talk to you about a man called the Iron Man of the Hills, Barzillai. And I want to talk to you about this man that uh, in the last days of his life was given opportunity to serve. And he, he made one excuse after the other. He was given honor and he expressed give the honor to someone else. And I want to talk to you about the mistake I think Barzillai made when we can get there. David, when he was run off the throne by his son Absalom, Barzillai was one of the men that brought him provision and safety and and gave protection as best he could to David. When David comes back into town, he offers Barzillai a place at the table And Barzillai said, I've I've got all that I need. He misunderstood. He wasn't getting a reward because there was lack in his life. He was getting a reward because the king wanted to promote him. He said no, and it looked like humility. We read the story, of, and it looks like humility. He gave the reward to someone else. But, loved ones, when you read the words of David, I want to tell you what I believe was really going on. David said, Barzillai, you can do this. I'll bless him too. But I want to do something for you. So many times we sell short what God wants to do. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you, Abraham said. God said, Abraham, I'll bless Ishmael too. I'll make him a great nation too. But I want to do this for you. And the question, Barzillai went to his grave and David went to his and we're left with the question Was Barzillai honoring the king or dishonoring the king? Is, is it valid to say, I've done my time and let the youngsters rise up, or is it the time to rise knowing that you've been, you have been aged like a fine cheese? Let me touch briefly about the sacred idea of pursuing reward. He says, I'm the good shepherd, Jesus did. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I understand, loved ones, when we're talking about pursuing reward, that we can pursue reward in a dishonorable way. Jesus called that the way of the hireling. He has goods, he has responsibility, but he's in it for himself, and the moment it begins to cost him, he bails. The moment the wolf comes, he bails. Jesus says that is a hireling. He is in pursuit of the reward. Until danger comes, then he bails out. Or we can pursue reward in humility and a sense of identification. This is the idea of the good shepherd. I tell you, one bad day in Israel, Moses said, God, kill him. Just, just kill him. And you want to look into the deep meaning of the Hebrew, and you go into the Hebrew words, and Moses was saying, kill him hard. Kill him kill him." intensely. Hebrew doesn't have a lot of words but it has a lot of emotional tenses that attach. Uh, You know and it was like Lord Lord, kill them and let them squirm just a little bit. God says Moses I can't do that. These are my people to whom I've made a promise. Moses said I know, I know. Another bad day in Israel. God says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to kill every one of them. And Moses, I'm going to take your children and raise up a nation of your children. And Moses says, God, you can't do that. These are your covenant people to whom you've made a promise. You can't do that. And God says, I know. I know. Some great theologians have said if Moses and God had ever agreed on Israel in any given day, Israel could have been wiped off the map. But this is what... Is the, to me, this is the, one of the high water marks in Moses' life. Are you with me? Yes. When God said, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses says, God, I stand in the gap for them. Save them. And if you can't, and then there's a dash. It, it, and, and scholars have wondered if that dash meant that Moses stopped speaking or some have speculated that Moses' words to the Lord were too sacred to be written. Others have said that Moses weighed the consequences of what he was saying, but he said, If you can't forgive them, then blot my name out of the book of life as well. Boy, that's a shepherd. That's a a heart of someone that understands what it means to pursue reward. That's the idea of the good shepherd. Now, let me give this to you very quickly. Uh, God. Gives us a glimpse into the way he wants to reward us by using the idea of a crown. Now we don't think much in terms of crowns. If you ever go to England, I encourage you to go to um, the Tower of London and go see the crown jewels. It, it, it is, I'm not into that kind of thing, but it is staggeringly beautiful. And the crown, I mean I wonder, God bless Elizabeth, how does a 90-year-old woman hold her head up under that thing? It's staggering, you know. And, 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 and it is magnificent. We don't usually think in terms of crowns. People in Europe might think more so. We think in other terms. But it was a very good concept in Bible days and it was one that we need to rediscover the value of. Now, the word crown is translated uh, is Stephanos. We get Stephen from it. Um, it. It literally means crown. It may carry with it the idea of one who was honored or one who was encircled. Uh, others say that uh, the, the, the name Stephen or, or crowns has to do with rewards. Uh, that, that's possible, but those are secondary meaning. The word itself just means crown. But what we have in the New Testament is that there are five of them mentioned that are rewards for victorious living. Now, as I said, let's think of these crowns as God's love language. And I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on each one. Number one, the first one is the crown of life. Now, you might think that this is a reward for eternal life, but eternal life is a gift, not a reward. We don't don't earn a reward for being given a gift. So, it's not the crown of life that's given to us because we're saved. It's also known as the victor's crown, and it is a reward for overcomers. Loved ones, the next time you're tempted to quit and bail... Remember, there's a crown given to overcomers. It's known as the victor's crown. Uh, We read about it in Revelation and James, and the context of it is that it is a reward given to people that endure difficulty, trials, persecution, and suffering. You want to win this crown, the crown of life, you've got to be an overcomer. You've got to quit running every time the going gets tough. I, I, I know that I've... I, I've, I've been here a long time and, I've, and I, I've talked to people that used to be in the church or were parts of other churches that I have friendship with. And I want to tell you, there's an epidemic of people that, are just, that just run. And, and I talked to somebody the other day. They're not in this church or I wouldn't mention it. They haven't been to church in years. And they say, well, we still love the Lord, but the church has let us down. I said, the church has let all of us down. I said, all of us have been let down. All all of us have let down other people. He said, well, I know I'm coming back. I'm coming back. One day I'll get there. Um, And I said, I want to tell you about somebody I talked to not two weeks ago. Um, They had gone. They came back to the church, stayed three or four weeks, and left again. And I said, I hadn't seen them in years until the other day. We were talking a little bit. And this is what they told me. They said, we left the church and we came back, but it just wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same church that we left. And I said, you are 100% right. And they said, I am. They were trying to pick a fight. I said, no, it's not. We're growing more and more like Jesus. We're doing more and more of what God has called us to do. We're not the same church you left. And the problem with you is you want to come back, but you've waited so long to come back you don't even recognize the church now that you've come back. I said you got to find you got to start all over and find a church that God is putting in your heart. I said I said, You don't understand. This idea of overcoming and of persevering is not just, well, I stuck with it till the end. Hallelujah. And I'm saved. Well, that's going to happen. That's called mercy, that's called grace. But there are going to be those, and I'm not just talking about sticking with a church, because sometimes you have to leave a church. Sometimes it's time to leave a church. But what I'm trying to say is our tendency is every time the going gets tough, let me bail. Because our favorite verse is, God wants me happy. Listen to what James says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Revelation 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The only place the crown of life is offered is the people that are going through difficulties, trials, heartaches, problems. But they stick with it. God says you can win the crown of life. There's number two, the imperishable crown. Also known as the incorruptible crown. It is a reward for self-denial and discipline. Wait a minute, Pastor, enduring trouble, self-denial, and discipline. Come on, get get something else down the list. Get to, get to a crown that I would like to try to pursue. Now, it's called the incorruptible crown because in 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul tells us to live our lives or run in such a way that you may obtain this crown. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. See, the crown in the Olympics and the Panispian Games in those days was 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 a wreath basically. And after a few weeks, the wreath would fade away. He says, but the wreath that we get, the imperishable crown that we get, the reward for self denial and discipline will will not wither like ivy it is something that is imperishable he said i run not with uncertainty i fight not as one who is just shadow boxing or one who beats the air i discipline my body and bring it under subjection lest when i preach to others i myself should become disqualified it's contrasted with temporal rewards that decay Okay, number one, I can win the crown of life if I'm an overcomer. Number two, I can win the imperishable crown if I can practice self-denial and discipline. Number three, there is the crown of righteousness. Oh, now here it is. Listen to this. This is a reward for those (coughs) who prioritize intimacy with God and cherish the return of Christ. It's interesting to me that those things go together. Paul would write to Timothy, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing Paul puts two things together. He says, the closer we draw to him, the more we will love his appearing. Can I tell you what I have found in my study of church history and Christian biographies? Almost without exception, when you find men and women of God (coughs) that love intimacy with God, the fruit of it almost always is a longing for his coming. When you find people that truly long for His coming, it began by drawing close in intimacy with God. See, people, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just sorry to say it this way, but you put these time restraints on me, I have to hurry. <laughs> people that don't embrace intimacy with God don't really understand the beauty of His coming. We just, we just think, well, that political party I hate will be messed up when Jesus comes back. I can't wait for Jesus to come, straighten them all out. No, the the idea of loving his appearing is contextually, it's the passionate awaiting of a bride for the arrival of her husband. And that comes from intimacy with God. I want to tell you there is something about the return of Christ that begins to blossom and explode when you decide I'm going to start spending time in the Word, I'm going to start spending time in prayer. And whenever you get to looking at the future it will always drive you to your knees to wait in His presence and love Him. And there is a crown of righteousness that is going to be given to those who will say I'm willing to pray, I'm willing to wait, I'm willing to love. All of it's going to be worth it when we see Jesus. Wednesday night I'm starting a new series on Abraham because he's the friend of God. The interesting thing about Abraham is unlike David or unlike Moses or unlike Jesus even, Abraham comes out of a vacuum of godlessness and becomes a friend with God. And I want to spend a few Wednesday nights talking about how this friendship developed between Abraham and God. And Abraham's the kind of man that you know is going to have the crown of righteousness. Number four, there's the crown of glory. Now, I'd I'd love to talk more about this if I had a house full of pastors, but I don't. Uh, Of of ministers, I don't. Um, Peter said, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that never fades away. In Acts chapter 20, Paul called for the le- elders of the church, the leaders of the church. He called them by three terms. He called them, number one, he called them the elders, uh, the presbyteroi. He says, you're the ones that are leading by example. You've lived long with the Lord and you live by example. You're the elders, presbyteroi. Then he called them the episcopoi. He says, you are the ones that oversee the flock. Uh, Episcopoi in English, we get, uh, we get uh, scopos, or we get the scope from it. And a scope on a rifle enables you to oversee something, to see it up closer, to see it clearer. So he said, you are the men who lead by a mature example. And he says, you are the, the people that lead the church um, by managing, directing This is the way the church should go. And then he called them the poimen, the shepherds. And he says the shepherds lead the flock. The shepherds feed the flock. And the shepherds protect the flock. These are the men uh, uh, and and women that that Peter is writing to, this idea of the crown of glory. The last one is the crown of rejoicing. And here's one that we ought to end with because everybody can win this one. It's the reward for soul winners. What did he say to the Thessalonians? What is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? He says, we don't know how it will work, but one day there will be the privilege given to everyone that has won souls to the Lord to present them to the Lord. The the shepherds will be able to present their churches, but there will be soul winners. that I don't know how God's going to do it, but we're going to be able to present everyone that we have won to the Lord and receive the crown of rejoicing. In Philippians, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And I want to tell you this. It's not just the people that get to sign on the dotted line. Do you want to give your heart to Jesus? Yes. Here, here's your book about a new convert. There's a network. Do you know that every time someone comes to the Lord in a Sunday morning service, do you know that the, the preacher may get a reward, but also the person that brought that guy to church? Do you know that that young mother that is exhausted from caring for three little preschoolers and she finally comes to a place where she can sit uninterrupted and listen because her three little ones are in the nursery I want to tell you every nursery worker in the house that's taking care of those children share in a soul winner's reward these are the kind of things that that we're going to be rewarded for now let me me wrap it up here it's time for us to go what are the Christian life lessons I've, I've got five of them on my outline Number one, set a goal for what you want to hear. I pray this just about every day. Lord, help me to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And number two, anticipate both the correction and the encouragement of the Lord. Okay, anticipate both the correction and the encouragement of the Lord. Number three, evaluate yourself periodically. You can't fall prey into this self-loathing or or this idea of just looking in and finding every, you know, glitch and every chink in the armor. You, you, you can't do that. But we do need to go before the Lord periodically and just say, Lord, help me. How do you see me, Lord? What am I doing well? What am I doing Poorly. Bring your desires to the Lord in prayer and number five, act upon holy ambition. Loved ones, what I'm trying to say is that as we move toward the day of reward, we need to say, and, and you've got to do it in the right way, but we've got to say, Lord, this is what means the world to me. This is what I want to hear you say. This is what I want to be rewarded for. Lord, what do I need to do to line up with you? This is not the kind of thing that you can answer with an altar call. This is the kind of call that you have to take from this place, and you have to spend some time in the Lord. I can tell you a little bit about what my life looks like as as I've worked through this, and I'm not going into detail and not mentioning everything, but I've said, Lord, I want to leave a legacy I want my children to, to understand the way I lived and what I lived for. I want them to follow. I also want to leave for them and the church a double portion. Whatever I learned, whatever state I may be at, I want that to be not your ceiling, but I want that to be your floor. I want you to grow from that I I told the Lord I want to deal with my stuff now that's one of the most difficult painful prayers I've ever prayed not praying it that was easy but I want to tell you when I'm saying Lord I want to deal with my frailties now and not at the judgment seat oh man I, I can't tell you what I've gone through that I think I could have not had to go through if I'd been willing to wait but I'm saying I want that day to be a day of celebration, not a day of, oh, man, I blew it. I blew it there. I blew it there. Every day I say, Lord, help me to know how to please you. Lord, every day I say, help me to love you more deeply. Guys, I don't understand this, and we cannot operate from condemnation But I believe this with all of my heart, no matter how much we love him, no matter how fervently we we love him, no matter how intensely we love him, when we see him, he is going to be so beautiful. He's going to be so complete. He's going to be so amazing that I believe we will be amazed at how poorly we loved him here. That's not a criticism. That's just, it's it's a praise of him. I, it does not enter my natural mind the beauty of the lord so lord just help me to love you beyond my pay grade help me to love you beyond help me to love you beyond my understanding okay we need to go i want to ask you during the next 7 days to think in terms of these rewards I'm not going to ask for a report. I'm not going to next Sunday say everybody wants crown of life over here. Everybody wants the imperishable crown over here. Uh, You know, we're we're not going to do that. And and guys, don't take the easy way out. Don't say, well, I just want them all. That's That's like aiming at nothing and you'll hit nothing. But say, but say, this is what would mean the most to me. Prioritize these things, at least four of them. I say, like I said, I know one is for, is for pastors, but um, uh, even if you set that one aside, take the other four and say, this is my goal. This is what I want. I want to understand how I can receive this reward because God is about to work in a way in all of our lives that's been different than what he's been doing. He is going to make us more aware of heaven that's getting closer and closer and closer, and he's going to make us more aware of rewards. Can I tell you what I know as I get older, and it's not that I'm morbid thinking I'm about to die, but I want to tell you this, guys, I say it to the glory of God, stuff means less and less. Uh, Awards mean less and less. Recognition means less and less. I, 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 the Lord has just been, I, I don't know what I have permission to say or not say. Let me just say this. The Lord has been speaking to my heart a word, a phrase concerning everything in my life, everything about the church. And he just keeps saying it, lighten the ship, lighten the ship, lighten the ship, lighten the ship. I think what he's saying is put your interest and your energy in things that matter And not things that don't matter. And loved ones, I can't tell you how to do that. I've simply got to sound the alarm. And the Holy Spirit's got to tell you how to lighten your own ship. Some things just won't matter when we see Him. Father, help us today. Uh, Ministry teams, would you go ahead and move into position, please? Minister to our hearts and lives today, Lord. Strengthen us by your grace. Help us to understand how we can pursue rewards without letting the flesh get involved. Help us to have righteous ambition. Help us to understand that every reward we win will be an indicator of how much we love you. Do your work, Father. We're your children, but now take us into a deeper work so that we truly begin to prepare for the future because this world is not our home. This is not where we belong. We have a city whose builder and maker is God. Help us to understand that in Jesus' name. Stand with me, would you please? Again, this is not the kind of thing you answer an altar call for, although you can if you want. But before we dismiss... We simply want to say this, if there are those here that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I, I, I do want to be a Christian, that's the reason I came today, I want to give my life to Christ, if you'll come to one of these ministry teams, they would love to pray for you. All you have to do is just say, I want to know more about Jesus. Um, if, if, you're, if you're uncertain of that, I, I encourage you to make the decision for the Lord. But if you're uncertain, right here on the front of the platform, to my left, to your right, there's a, a CD that's free. It's called The Invitation. It'll answer some questions about following the Lord and what it means to be a Christian. I encourage you to take one of that. Or even if you come forward to give your life to Christ, I encourage you to take one of those as well. The other thing we want to do today is if you're here and you need prayer you're sick, you're you're struggling with depression or whatever it is you need, I know that you don't have a lot of time because everybody's made Mother's Day reservations and we, we've got a lot of stuff to do today. But this is worth your time to uh, come and let someone pray for you. I love you. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, don't forget, this Wednesday, we start the life of Abraham. God bless you.